Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Capturing this early Tuesday evening, getting ready to fly out here Thursday morning for Iowa. to be on the road for a long time and looking forward to being on the road. This high V IndyCar weekend double header. Really enjoyed it last weekend. Took a look at tickets. And for Saturday and Sunday, for what I was able to see on Ticketmaster, it looked like sales have been pretty good. So, if not very good. Obviously, they just announced that Friday will be free. So, I think there might be some smart strategy involved here. What's going to interest me the most is not just how many tickets are purchased for Saturday and Sunday, it's how many folks sit out in the grandstands and watch the IndyCar race. We know that before the races, we have big concerts, and we know after the races both days, we have big concerts. Just hoping the folks who buy those tickets to hear the music don't retreat behind the grandstands and do indeed go out and sit and watch and cheer on and show full, full stands, which would be a wonderful thing. Say a big thank you as always to you for all the great questions you send in. Our friend Jerry Siddoth, who assembles the questions each week for us. Uh, what did he say here? Oh, almost 3,000 words worth of questions, 40 questions in total. Won't get to all of them, but we'll get to as many as we can here. Also, want to say a huge thanks to Cooper Tires and Discount Tire for all they do to support the show in the USF Championships. Big, big friends at torontomotorsports.com. Had a great weekend last weekend at Toronto, home event. Did some cool charity stuff too, raised a couple thousand dollars uh, with a promotion that they were doing. So really proud of them. Motor racing memorabilia, that's what they got. So check them out at torontomotorsports.com. And then the Justice Brothers, makers of truly amazing automotive chemicals and lubricants. Oh, staring at some on my shelves right now. So, yeah, thanks to them. Before we get rolling with the show, what else can I tell you? Uh, spoke with our guy, reigning, not defending, but reigning, Indy Lights, now Indy NXT Championship winner, that being Linus Lundqvist, Indy NXT by Firestone. Spoke with him, getting ready to try and fly from Sweden over here to the good old U.S., he is indeed getting closer to making his IndyCar racing debut, having done two tests already. Um, who do I hear in terms of options of where he might be doing that race or two or three? Not signed, according to him, and he wouldn't mention who it was or give any hints, but who, where, what kind of rumors have we heard related to Linus and being on the grid this year? Uh, there's a team that did pretty darn well at Toronto last weekend that I think might be the leading solution I hear. So yeah, looking forward to learn more about what's going on from Linus. Uh, been some rumors here about Nashville and where it could land on next year's calendar. Uh, can say that I have tried to get something formal from the event promoters for the last week, week and a half, still not succeeding there. Did see some rumors that 
It could be moved to the end of the season, which that'd be interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that'd be interesting. How's that? Um, although I got to admit, where the event might land on the calendar was actually number two on my list of questions to ask. Um, been hearing there could be a particular part of Nashville where the reimagined circuit layout could be held. And again, where the race falls on the calendar, knowing that they need to execute a new contract. This is the third of a three-year contract for this event coming up here in a couple of weeks, but expect the event to continue. We know it's going to need to adjust where it is because half of where the race takes place right now is going to be under construction for a new Tennessee Titans NFL stadium. But yeah, from where I've heard some alternate streets and locations might be for future Nashville Grand Prix. Uh, that's the thing that really intrigues me. So hoping to learn a little bit more about that. Know that our man Connor Daly will be back in that number 60 Meyershank racing Honda here doing that Iowa double header and just saying, <laughs> if it isn't Ryan Hunter Ray, who has, I think, 2,000 victories at Iowa, uh, Connor Daly's about as good a, an alternate as you could come up with. So good for him getting that call up, yet again showing his value and worth within the IndyCar paddock. Then the obvious, oh man, Simon, uh, haven't bothered him, haven't wanted to bother him, just feel so badly for simon for reasons that may be obvious that may not be obvious the first obvious big crash big obvious lingering effects from within uh, the gray matter they're getting thrown around crazy force so we know that he continues and needs to continue to recover it's not been cleared by indycar medical they have not deemed him being on the other side of the concussion and concussion-like symptoms, however we should phrase that. This will be, by the end of the weekend, four straight races he will have missed in that number 60. And the part that may be obvious to some and may not is he's in a contract year. He's also undergone or experienced the worst career season in IndyCar. I mean, there's nothing that even comes close to one being as bad as this. And that was prior to his crash. He was 24th in the championship coming into mid-Ohio. Just a brutal year, truly, in every way. For himself, for the Marshank Racing Team, even his teammate Elio Castro Neves, who's had a few more bright days but very few as well teams just undergone basically a season-long kick in the nuts and then you add crash not of his making not his fault that is signed line simon for four races now while he needs to put up finishes put up results and show the Meyershank racing team you need to hold on to me you need to keep me don't sign any of the many drivers who've been angling for that number 60 Honda for months didn't just start when things got bad. Things 
been hunted and pursued and desired and gone after to be in that seat. It's a good team, down year, but a good team, well-funded, great Andretti Technologies Engineering Link. This is a seat that a lot of people want, and they've been going after it since <laughs> probably the off-season, since everybody's known that Simon's going into the second of a two-year contract. So I just feel really bad for him for so many reasons. Question coming in Wednesday's mailbag about, you know, for Simon's sake, shouldn't the Shank team just shut him down for the year, say, don't worry about it, just rest up, come on back next year? As I responded to that person, I love the idea if Simon was on a three-year deal, but he's not. And so I have no criticism to offer to Meyershank Racing if they do not decide to keep Simon simply because it's a performance-based business. Sympathy, and for a driver who's gone through a brutal thing like he has, it tugs at every piece of humanity, obviously. But that sympathy can't be a thing that a team on a two-ish year downhill slide really tap into too much because ultimately they do have responsibilities to sponsors and just like drivers are constantly looking to get into other drivers teams and seats every other team is trying to take the sponsors off of everybody else's car it's good that half of the Meyershank racing team jim meyer former ceo of sirius xm ongoing great relationship with sirius xm sirius xm being a liberty media product liberty media being a 30 percent owner of the team i mean there's some good stuff there but that's not the only sponsor by any means and so that's where this really uncomfortable side of the business comes in where here's a guy veteran right late 30s champion 8500 winner all kinds of great things but none of those things matter when it comes to the position you finish in at barber or detroit or wherever else it is very much a what have you done for me lately series and sport most sports are like that so to have someone in a contract year have a bad year then have a big crash then not be able to drive yeah i am truly just hoping for my old friend simon and i know he has a lot of fans probably agree can't get him back in the car soon enough and I am truly hoping that the great progress they made the last race weekend, he was able to complete that being Road America, where they all came away saying, hey, we found something. Yeah, I think, I think we're on to something really good here. That he's able to pick up on that, put some really strong results in, and have the Meyershank Racing Team say, without a doubt, we don't want anyone else to drive this car going forward because you just reminded us that you're the guy to have. Um one or two other very quick things, and I realize I don't do this very often. Just kind of catching up on whatever, sharing some non-answer to questions stuff on the upfront. Over the weekend, got a little Facebook memory notification, and I apologize for those of you who are young, saying, "Grandpa, please tell us about this Facebook thing he he just mentioned." Um, on the good old book faces, there's a memory that popped up. I think it was Saturday. Reminded me it was the four-year anniversary of my wife's first major, major surgery after things went haywire in May 
of 2019. So yeah, um, again, I don't know if you really would call such a thing a anniversary in terms of celebrating, but we did spend a lot of time reminiscing, some of it very deep and misty-eyed, of how much she has been through in the last four years. Timeline-wise, we got her breast cancer diagnosis the end of August 2018. So this, this has been around for a while, but in terms of when it really returned and turned things upside down, it was May of 2019 when I was at the Indy 500, and then going through June and got to early July, uh, middle of July, I should say, before we finally got some things under control enough to go in and she was in surgery for about six hours to uh, to address a lot of the, the crazy damage, the cancer, which migrated uh, from the breast to her back that that cancer did to her spine. Um, yeah, so heavy, like heavy stuff. Thinking about all the trials, the being at this hospital then going to the that hospital and all the months there before she was able to come home and everything since going through ongoing we're still doing going through um chemo but physical rehabilitation from all the damage done to her back everything that was done in that crazy surgery to try and restore some order of of what was going on back there uh, her having to, yeah, um, I think many of you know how much of a fight that was afterwards, but um, just her ability to be mobile, her ability to walk, her ability to like do the most basic of things. Like, yeah, so I don't talk about it that much anymore because it's not so much of a daily urgent, oh my God kind of thing, which it was for a couple of years straight, but uh, we did just take a moment, personal half day <laughs> in the midst of trying to cover remotely the Toronto Indy car race and just spent time talking about this insane journey, which has become 95% less insane since then. But yeah, the strength of my wife is, I tell you, you could bottle that. You could turn that into a pill or a spray or a something. Like, yeah, there would be no problems left in the world. All right, let's uh, let's get going here. Let's get rolling with our questions. Uh, I feel like I'm forgetting many things, but uh, that's okay. That is the norm. Uh, where should we go, Jerry? Where should we go? You know, I love where you're uh, kicking us off here. And once again, I do appreciate him and y'all for everything you send in. Uh, why don't we go to Jeffrey May? He says, MP, I'm so happy for Ray Hollerman Lanigan Racing and Christian Lungard. I'll join you there, Mr. May. He says, at the same time, I'm bummed for Tom Blomqvist. He's excited to see what he could do in the race after a great performance during his first ever qualifying session, which was also in the wet. Super impressed. We've got a couple more Christian questions afterwards. 
Oh, yeah. This is just adding <laughs> adding to the list of uh, crotchatorial kicks to the Marshank Racing Team, taken out on lap one, turn one, zero fault of his own. Come on, man. Yeah. Um, I don't think the sad and brief experience he had in the race will affect MSR's interest or desires to have Tom as a full-time IndyCar driver next year. I'd say what he did in qualifying alone should be enough to have them or any other team say, Oh yes, we want to, we want to do bigger things. It'd be one thing if the guy was like 25th or 24th to qualify 20th out of 27 is just redonkulous. Now I do realize that the Andretti team was on its game, at least in terms of single lap pace at Toronto. No, they didn't get the pole and I know qualifying didn't go their way in mixed conditions, but we know for sure Andretti Autosport showed up fast. And so Tom's car obviously had great potential. This guy though, whether it's being on reins, the potential of having to go out on alternate super grippy slicks, whatever it was, this whole qualifying process trips up rookies. First race, second race, third, fifth, tenth is qualifying, right? This knockout format, the need to just give maximum, maximum speed in an instant, right? The comfort to do that, the belief in the car and the track, like, again, whether it's a, a dry qualifying, those rookies are on alternates or whatever, just know that qualifying tends not to be the thing where many rookies excel. And so for Tom to do that in very tricky, wet conditions on a track he didn't know and a car he barely knows and blah, 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 I'm with you. Um, I think had it been fully dry, I don't know if he starts 20th, but I do think there with his just other level car control i think that played in and if anything leveled his lack of experience a little bit and just let his natural driving talent shine through so super happy for him and the team and i sure don't think this is going to be the last time we see tom blomqvist qualifying in an indycar race uh not bob bradley says mp would christian lingard be on the short list for a certain championship level team that may or may not have a couple driver openings to fill this off season. If Christian Lundgaard was not under contract for one more year with RLL, I think he would be signed by Chip Ganassi racing the moment he was available. Um, Good for him, bad for him, good for RLL. But I mean, again, I don't know. Um, yeah, if he was a free agent, he would absolutely be plucked by an Andretti, Errol McLaren, Ganassi type team. And that's no disrespect to RLL. Just know that Ganassi in particular of those three is ready and capable to ship the kid to his first championship if they were to bolt him into that number 10 Honda next year, for example, or even the number eight Honda currently driven by Marcus Erickson. Uh, yeah, this kid's special, clearly, and can only get better because he's so young and 
relatively inexperienced, just not available to do that. On the flip side, I would hope and think using the Zach Brown public example of why on earth would you not sign your great talent, and that's whether it's a driver, race engineer, whomever, to a long-term deal now, extend them now, don't wait until the final year where they can negotiate, um, using the Zach Brown model of don't be silly and let the people you really want get away from you. Uh, I would have to believe RLL has, <laughs> as of one second after the checkered flag, if they haven't already said, hi, uh, we don't ever want you to leave. And here's a really long-term contract paying you a really good wedge of money. If that hasn't happened already, I would be very surprised. Or if it's at least not something they have discussed, Hey, let's get together at this date, time, or track in the very near future and make this thing a priority. Uh, again, I'd be very shocked. Uh, Matthew Featherman, you asked something that, boy, a whole bunch, Mato Corey, Tom T. Smith, and a bunch of others are asking about. And I spent, I don't know, almost 20 minutes, half hour on the phone today with our guy, Alex Pillow. Uh, you're asking, curious, what's your thoughts on the broken wing that Pillow kept driving on? So we all saw at one point it was hanging on by a thread. And all I could picture was him driving up on it and straight lining into a wall. I, I had visions of that too, probably like everybody else uh, who, good on you for watching on Peacock. Uh, Matthew closes by saying, I was convinced they may black flag him for this, uh, for his safety and for others. If that had come loose, uh, nothing. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, what, 85 lap race? If we just ignore fuel and tires, just say everything else was perfectly fine. The only variable, uh, if, say, the race was 90 laps, five more laps, and again, forget every other thing, no worries, just go flat out. If the race was five laps longer, I feel like that might happen. Um, it seemed to hold in just about the same place of brokenness and disrepair for what? I think that he did the last 40-ish laps um with that damage it seems like what the first 20 ish laps 25 laps it was the same ish amount of broken right broken but not like oh boy big problem and then i don't know next five ten laps whatever it was uh five to eight laps it seems like it was like okay yeah uh, it, it feels like we're degrading somewhat faster than we were and then we got to like lap 82 and it was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, and we got to 83 and we got to 84. And honestly, by lap 84, I had stopped. I mean, might've been 83 or whatever it was, but I had just stopped paying attention to Lungard and his gap and like anything. I'm like, look, unless something crazy happens, race is over. The guys won the race. Not even a question. Um, Colton Herta, similar thing. Guys holding right, holding position. Doesn't look like he's making crazy ground on uh, Polo. I know things got close a little bit for a moment there, but like, hey, everything looks fairly resolved for the podium. Except, is this front wing going to snap off, go beneath the car, 
and we're going to watch Alex two wheeling it down the back straight, um, and retiring or, and, or crashing. And to my great amazement, um, didn't happen. You do wonder, right? If this was Benjamin Peterson running 20, whatever and identical situation, do I think they black flag Benjamin with 20 laps to go in 10 laps, 30 laps? I don't know way before the finish and go, Hey, yeah, let's do a new front wing. I think you do with a Alex Pillow demonstrating possibly one of the most special drivers we've seen in IndyCar in decades that's emerged. I think you ask your corner workers to continue paying a lot of attention, have your officials and race control and stewards and you name it, getting out the big binoculars just to look at the TV screens in front of them and using all those extra camera views from the corners to try and parse out what's going on and give him and the team the benefit of the doubt of knowing who we're talking about, knowing that he's leading the championship by a lot, but also knowing he's not an idiot, right? He's not the guy chucking the car into the wall on regular occasion. I realized that he got into the wall. It wasn't his fault, um, avoiding someone else's incident, but definitely a variable here based on the driver, the team, the trust, what they've shown you before. And I'm not picking on Benjamin Peterson. It could be any, you know, it could be almost anybody else. David Malukas. Hey, Come on in. You're the next contestant on Change the Wing Now, not later. Uh, Renus VK, Ryan Hunter Ray. Again, I think there's a who is it and where are they running in the race? Telling the championship leader to pit while running first, second, or third with not a crazy amount of laps left to go and without the wing looking truly oh my goodness until those last couple of laps i thought they were perfectly fine in doing nothing knowing who it was if someone were to have said with two or three laps to go this is getting scary and it was and the decision was made to tell him to pit and make that change I think it would have been argued controversial and otherwise, but I also would not be able to argue with it because it was looking really sketchy. Was this a little bit of a roll of the dice of like, well, we can see it, he can see it, and they can see it. And if they are comfortable with him continuing and taking the risks of him crashing if it breaks off, We'll let them lean into that. The other part, which you mentioned, obviously, is, but what if he takes out Colton or someone else when that happens or others or seriously injures himself? (sighs) Yeah. No, it's probably not the caveat some folks want to hear, but it is a dangerous sport. And I'm good with them swallowing the whistle. I also would have understood if they didn't. 
And if they didn't, uh, they had him pit. Imagine how much crap we would all additional stuff we'd have to write this week. Uh, why don't we go to at racing Storky? Uh, no, I apologize. No, it is you. Um, say, where would you categorize Pelot's drive with a broken front wing and saving fuel coming from 15th among other great drives? Um, ask the same question about the front wing. Uh, you ask, why is the Iowa schedule so weird? Um, well, I love to answer questions that I can. Since I don't make the schedule, wasn't consulted on the schedule, and have no insights on how they made the schedule what it is, I would have a hard time telling you why it's so air quote weird because I don't see it as weird um, other than getting up and qualifying at 8.30 Saturday morning uh, and then having a pretty long wait until the race. But I know they're trying to fit a concert in there. But yeah, um, I don't know about that part. That's uh, that's an IndyCar question. Um, I told Alex today. I told a couple friends today. I told a team owner today. Just chatting, right? Greatest drive I've ever seen the guy put together. And it wasn't a win. <laughs> How often can you say that, right? This was your finest performance that I've ever seen of all your IndyCar races, and it didn't involve victory. Uh, it's everything that he had to do. I'm trying to write about this here, so I might be just basically giving you no reason to read this, but it wasn't just that he had a bad weekend coming into the race, and not bad, bad, but look, 15th place is the worst starting position for him of the entire year. Had to do a couple things, if not, no, not a couple, more than a couple, a double couple, if not more. The thing that made this drive so great, greatest of his career, it's all the different things he had to manage and win at doing in order to come home in second. So, not only did he need to improve half a field's worth of positions, he also, with that incident avoiding Elio Castroneves and breaking of the front wing, had to manage that damage. We also have the timing of his final pit stop, which is what throws this into overdrive. Um, we saw Marcus Erickson, his teammate, and we also saw Team Penske's willpower need to pit with one lap to go, like the most brutal thing to go. They had top sixes. I think Marcus was fourth, Will was sixth, or vice versa, whatever it was. They had really good finishes on the cards and had to pit on the final lap for a splash and go. Gave those up by comparison. Terrible finishes, right? Lundgaard, Christian Lundgaard, pitted on the same lap as those guys, yet made it to the finish line. So, huge credit to Christian. Truly, like, this kid did an amazing job of making speed and saving fuel. And it's, here's where things get fun. Alex Plow stopped five laps earlier. <laughs> five laps before. Now, I think most of those laps... I don't have it in front of me. Three of those five, I think, whatever the number was, were under yellow, were under caution. So, right, 
But if you think of how those who stopped five laps later of the Lungard Ericsson power trio, two of those three came up a lap short and had to stop. Imagine Polo <laughs> stopping five laps before them, having to go something like, I think it might've been almost right on 40 laps on a set of tires stretching that fuel tank like mad having to save a freaking lot more than those who stopped five laps later and the guy who went on to win the race while also dealing with the broken front wing that was getting progressively worse we saw the right side front wing end plate from all the scraping it was doing was ground down to almost nothing that takes away surprisingly a decent amount of downforce off the front of the car that destabilizes the front of the car in cornering along with it kind of being at a wonky angle and so not only do you not have the same amount of stability under braking and turning as those behind you and in front of you but you're also placing added stress on the front tires because they don't have solid equal amount of downforce pressing down on them so those front tires especially again under braking and initial turn in where you've got that wonky insufficient downforce they're sliding a little bit every corner every corner so you're just grating and wearing out the fronts faster than everybody else and then he did another thing which was in reaction to the broken front wing i mentioned it in my race report he altered his line which isn't necessarily the fastest way around the track. But in the places where there were big, big divots, could be person hole covers, could be a drain, could be just a big seam and huge bump, wasn't able to avoid every single one on every lap. But if you were watching Alex's line whenever he could if he wasn't under threat from behind or if he was whatever it was he was changing his line going the long way around a corner or going to the inside of a corner where it wasn't the fast way i'm sorry on the inside setting up for a corner wasn't necessarily the fastest way right the final not the final turn off the back straight i think what is that turn eight um I think that's the number where they hang the right and then can go into pit lane. That final corner, it's a right-hander. The fastest way around it is to set up all the way on the left side and turn across the apex. Doing that, there's a giant bump, possibly one of the two worst on the track if you stay full left. That's the fast way, but it's also the way that would accelerate the ripping of that front wing the tip of the hashtag front nose carrying uh, the front wing elements that would accelerate the ripping and accelerate the possibility of that thing just coming off the car altogether. So when possible, you'd see him go to the other side or try and avoid such things that would slow him in the next corner. Take the long way around here. We're around there. And that doesn't help you to make fast lap times. And yet, He was able to keep Colton Herta behind him. So I just throw all those things in here and go, 
starting in the midfield, worst of the year, having to avoid a crash, but then have a bit of a crash of your own, break the front wings, mounting on the nose, have that progressively worsen, deal with instability under braking and cornering, deal with increased wear and understeer, deal with having to live with a set of tires for 40 laps, and make a fuel tank last, having pitted five laps before. Once again, I realized three or maybe even four of those were under caution, and he was not having to burn a lot of fuel. But that's five extra laps at 1.8 miles apiece, more than he had to travel than the race winner and two people on that race winner strategy who had to stop a lap early to get a little bit of a top up. You throw all these things in and him making no mistakes, mastering all of these challenges and even being smart enough to realize I got to drive an alternate line. I mean, tell me another race where he has done something more impressive or almost any other driver has done something this impressive in a long time. Like I think back to Alexander Rossi and his clutch and coast win at the Indy 500. Like that kind of level of, you want me to do what? <laughs> and I got to keep doing this and keep doing this? Uh, yeah. So there's some others where some insane challenges behind the wheel had to be met. But yeah, love your question. And uh, yeah, if you were watching everything, catching all the little subtleties and even some of the, the more visible ones, yeah, what this guy did just yeah this is stupid uh why don't we go to matt roberts robarts i'm sorry i pro i'm probably one of many who mispronounces your last name matt and i apologize as someone who surprisingly often has folks pronounce my last name as puret uh swapping around a couple letters there so matt robarts so who should have a finger wag at them for the mess on the first lap uh, you know i spoke with uh, a dear friend who told me no, nah, man, you're totally wrong. That wasn't Jack Harvey's fault. I watched it in super slow motion and watched it over and over again. And it was Devlin DeFrancesco who hit the back of Ryan Hunter Ray and skewed Hunter Ray uh, in the wrong direction. And then that uh, sent him into Jack. And then Jack hit him. And then he hit Tom. And uh, I don't know. How's that? I thought I had a clear understanding and was told by a super close friend that he spent some time doing the forensic accounting of what took place and uh, starts with Devlin, uh, who knocked Hunter Ray askew, and then things got bad from there. So, um, yeah. How's this? Finger wagging in general. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, hey, we're going to go three wide on the opening lap. I don't care who's trying to do that in that section. At that track, come on, man. Come on. Um, Kyle House. How you doing, Kyle? I don't know if I recalled too many questions from you in the past, or maybe this is the first. Regardless, thanks for sending something in. You say, when is IndyCar going to police race control? I love that idea. Like, race control, they're the events police. So now we're talking about... Are we going to add like a police layer to control race control? Cops 
on top of cops. Yeah, that's amazing. I never thought of that. He says, uh, you have a driver digging through a runoff just after a full course caution. It's displayed. Another driving around with the front wing assembly held on by a single post. They don't start following their own rules simply for safety's sake. They're going to be giving out flowers to those affected instead of cars. Do a little bit here to assemble some of the, the word salad, brother. Um, yeah, I don't know if, if Toronto was a high water mark for some of the decision making. Um, it seems like at least once a weekend for the last two, three weekends, maybe more, uh, maybe even more. There's been at least one, everybody expects this super plain and clear thing to be ruled in direction A. Uh, Oh, they're going direction B or, oh my goodness, using past examples, actionable items done last race, three races ago, whatever. The thing we just saw happen warrants the exact same treatment. Oh, okay. Not doing anything there. Um, question here. There's the have at it approach. There's the, these are adults. These are professionals. We'll let them sort it out themselves. If a driver's acting in a bad way once or twice or whatever, Hey, you know, the, the herd will police itself and if uh someone's acting a foul a fool and being foul well they might get chased out of the herd or you see the the hyenas and the lions on the horizon uh, you might not get in the way of them if uh, they want to go after the one who's acting foul i i don't believe either of those approaches are the least bit valid or acceptable do y'all i'm a huge believer in no there's no have at it there's no well they'll get together drivers meeting whatever privately and they'll make sure good old so-and-so cleans up their act tell me when and where that's ever happened i guess in recent years i can't think of it I can't think of the, well, we're just going to let you run into each other and eventually you'll get tired of it or the, well, there's strong personalities and they're going to whip the bad actors into shape. I just, I can't think of it. So my question here is, does it feel like that's kind of been the vibe a little bit? Yeah. You know, we don't want to blow the whistle too often. You know, even the things we felt might be egregious, even the things we felt like, Wow, that's a really obvious call to make. (laughs) No one will be mad. Even the driver who did the thing, they won't be mad if you penalize them. Oh, but okay, but you didn't. It's just been that feeling. And I don't want to say it's been 100% limited IndyCar. I know I've gotten a little bit of that vibe with Imsa lately too, of like, huh, what? I don't know. Um, I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts. can tell you the belief that I have, and it's that, 
you have race control, if you have referees on the field, which is our equivalent here in race control, and they've got whistles and they can throw flags, blow those whistles, do whatever it is that they need. They have access to instant replay. They have communication devices to talk to each other and get thoughts and, Hey, what do you think? And blah, blah, blah. what do you see? Um, it sure seems like the folks in a racing series or a stick and ball sports or whatever, who are tasked with enforcing the rules, administering a sporting event that complies with a high level of professionalism and execution, that that's where these expectations need to be held. Hi, we're not going to swallow the whistle. We're not going to let you have at it or try and police yourselves. We're going to say, no, can't do that. Drive through the pits or whatever it is. My feeling is we're losing sight of that. I'm not a big penalty person said that forever. I I'm not a person that wants to see a thousand penalties called lap deleted track limits lap deleted trial i'm look i don't want that kind of nonsense i don't want that level of intervention but just truly in driving behavior i don't want every little thing police so that drivers fear overtaking and oh my goodness i can't move one inch left or right without getting in trouble but for the things that we all go hey that ain't right call it There should be no question. Hey, that's obvious. Do something. Just seems the more we have a nothing happening, I just got to wonder, uh, what's the approach here? All right, let's keep moving. Uh, go to our pal, Jameen Tuttle. So did this weekend seal the deal for Groshaw and Jack Harvey? I hate to see people lose their jobs, but... How do Andretti and RLL not move on? Um, there's really only one question mark here, Jameen. Um, I've even spoken with Jack about it. He knows the team's been searching for the next driver of the car he's currently in. Um, team's been super classy. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to say anything like to the point of almost getting a little mad if you even bring it up. I know that because I've had some of that slight anger return my way for bringing it up, but team by no means, any team, no team whatsoever has to say anything about whatever question I might raise or anyone else would totally. They're right. Certainly respect it. Same time. I also live in reality where you know about things that are happening. You speak to enough people who say, that seat's open, I want it, or, hey, uh, I might be in contention for that seat, or whatever else, you go, okay, clearly there's some business waiting to be done. Jack, as I wrote, coming into the season, really needed to get off to a good start. His second of a two-year contract with Arlow really needed to get off to a good start and put last year's terrible debut behind him give them nothing but great reasons to put another contract in front of him. Hasn't happened, as we know. He was super gritty at the Indy 500. Um, His fighting spirit was on display like we haven't seen in a little while. thought it was great. 
just the body of work for the year has just not been there to support any reason for the team to say, my goodness, we could not possibly let anyone else drive that number 30 Honda. So this comes back to some of the notes about Simon and what's going on at MSR. Even for a past champion and Indy 500 winner, those things don't guarantee you ongoing employment. So even someone like Simon, a major star and very high achiever, really not able to say with any certainty that he's going to be back in that car, and who knows? If he's not in that car, is he somewhere else in the series or not in the series next year? I don't know. But if a guy with those credentials and trying to think, think how many wins does he have let me click 15 wins 38 podiums right if a guy with 15 wins is having a bad year and he might be out of a seat you just got to look at the numbers not how you like the person but you got to look at the numbers if you're paying someone to drive and i'm just checking now jack's best result this year best finest day detroit 17th place it's bewildering because i've seen the guy rooted for him i love the guy i mean again whether they're keeping a seat or losing the seat doesn't change whether i love him um love this kid since i met him in back in the day and what we once upon a time called the mazda road to indy um how two years ago at Meyershank Racing, single car team, lone driver there, how we've seen Jack go from finishing 13th in the championship. Uh, let me just look now. One, two, three, four, five, six, five or six at least. Top 10 finishes, couple of top fives made i think it was six visits to the firestone fast 12 at least some of those in the fast six like it was two years ago 22nd last year at rll he had that great top 10 at nashville 10th also know that race was a race of attrition where seemingly i think half the field didn't make it to the checkered flag so but coming off a bad year, placing 22nd in the championship, this was a year where he needed to turn things around. Right now, he's 23rd in the standings. And it's just that thing. In strictly a what have you produced, and then based on what you've produced, how do we place a value on that in terms of continuing the relationship? He's in a really unenviable position. So if we're just talking my hopes magically manifesting themselves next year, I understand he's not in the running to return to Marshank Racing. I understand that. And when I say understand, I know that to be a fact. Of the many other seats open at other places... I do hope that there's one or two fans of his among 
other team owners, team managers who say, you know, I've seen this guy do really impressive things. Let's see if, if we can get him back to that place. Because without that, without someone making that step forward, I don't know if Jack continues being an IndyCar driver. And I would hate if that was the end of his story. Um, 10 spots up from Jack in 13th. You're asking about Romain Groschon. Um, identical situation to Jack and Simon. Contract year, tough year, not as tough as Jack or Simon. He really and truly uh, has been saved by those two second-place finishes back-to-back at Long Beach and Barber. Uh, pole positions, two of them, one at Barber, one at St. Pete. Crash at St. Pete with McLaughlin. Again, not, re- not really going to put that on him. Just unfortunate that's how it ended. Uh, crashed the following race at Texas. I believe that was all him. Um, those two great second-place finishes. And then here's the part where things get really, really tough. In the six races that have followed, the last six races, also known as six consecutive races, he's failed to finish inside the top 10. His best was an 11th, and that was at the Indy GP. Um, A brief respite at Mid-Ohio where he finished 13th. But of the last six races, he's crashed out of half of them. The one he didn't crash out of in terms of like truly just hitting a wall and the car no longer being able to continue was Road America where he finished 25th after running off track, pushing other people off, just being darn near a menace the whole time. So if it was just the driving stuff, I think there'd be some... Folks in the paddock would say, yeah, man, the guy's just had a brutal run here. Brutal's the word of this episode, by the way. But, hey, we've seen the guy get a couple pulls this year, a couple, you know, second-place runs. We'll, we'll invest in that. We, we think we can, we can get even better out of him. Unlike Jack, possibly the sweetest, <laughs> one of the sweetest people you're ever going to meet, um... Romain has done himself no favors by just demonstrating a lot of toxic behavior. Shouting at his team, berating his team over the radio, uh, just saying stuff where you go like, if you were driving for Roger Penske and said what you said or were caught on camera on pit lane after stepping out of the car, screaming and shouting at your engineer, the other folks on the timing stand. If you drove for Roger Penske, you would be brought directly into one of the transporters with him and Tim Sendrick and probably a few others and spoken to in such a way that your blood would run ice cold. Your veins would freeze because you would have just been destroyed, leveled for releasing such behavior and disrespect on the men and women, the people who make your car, 
go round safely and who invest such time and passion in what they do. Over the radio, dressing down, constant criticism whenever things don't go wrong. Never made a mistake in his life. Always someone else's fault. Take no responsibility for anything. Do that with a Chip Ganassi. And <laughs> you're going to come out of the trail with folks going, what are those marks around your neck? <laughs> Why is your face all red? Why is your arm in a sling? Why are you limping? And again, I mean, I'm exaggerating. I'm not saying Chip. I don't mean that Chip would actually physically do anything to anybody just saying though like you would not think of a single chip ganassi racing driver including scott dixon talking to his crew that way t anybody over the radio for the world to hear on tv for the world to see like if you did that once i can guarantee you you'd do it once um this is the stuff that I have seen and said, oh, wow, wow. But separate from what I've seen, these are the things that I've heard from others in positions of power and decision-making to say, yes, I will or won't hire you, who've said, uh, forget the driving stuff. You think I'm going to sign myself up for that? And my sponsors? Like, put myself at risk of sponsors going, nope not having a thing to do with that party um that's the difference here uh jack harvey total sweetheart just wish this thing was working better and it still could i don't think there's a chance he stays in that seat but there's a chance things could improve throughout the rest of the season and he might pique the interests of some who are considering something next year uh romain I think he could win a race or two for sure. He has the potential, but just wonder if the behavior side has ended the team's interest in continuing. And if by chance Andretti Autosport does not offer him a contract extension, of course, there's always a small team that might take a flyer if they can, you know, the guy's not known to be inexpensive, but I can't think of any team that we would say is equal or better than Andretti Autosport that would say, yep, sign me up for that. So, yeah, uh, not fun if you're fans of either driver. Uh, we're going to rattle through as many questions here as I can. Uh, before saying farewell very, very quickly. Chris Ward, how you doing, Chris? MP, uh, I know when drivers in IndyCar win a cash award, they get a percentage of it based on their contract. Say when junior drivers win pole awards or whatnot, is it the same setup? Just go straight to the driver, straight to the team? One of those all depends answers. Chris, what did they negotiate? Did they think to negotiate? Um... Some teams don't really get into that. And if a driver doesn't think to raise it or their parents, you know, um, the money is usually paid to the entrant in most series that I can think of, right? Just across the board. If 
you're receiving money from the institution that's running the event, the business relationship is between the sanctioning body and the entrance of the vehicles. The driver of one of those vehicles may have received a cash award for a poll or a win or whatever, but again, usually the business directly gets done with the team owner. Would hope in 2023, uh, every driver, even if they're brand new, either knows to or has a parent or an advisor that says, hey, it might not be, it might be a grand, right? Thanks to Cooper Tires for being a steady, steady giver of such cash awards to young drivers. But on the business end of how much of that makes it to the driver, totally dependent on what they negotiate with the team. And yeah, most teams are pretty cool, been around for a while, have a well-defined way of handling such things. Some of the newer ones might not. Uh, not every team is totally great and above board with how they do stuff. But uh, And again, I'm not speaking specifically of Indian XT or USF championships, but just, yeah, by now, pretty much everybody's above board, but sometimes you hear about these weird, like, hey, they still owe me $3,500 from last year. And you go, well, that's not a huge amount of money in the scope of what it costs to go racing. But I don't know, to a 17-year-old <laughs> or a 19-year-old who has never made much money, like 3500 bucks is like, yeah, that's huge. I mean, granted, huge to me as well. Uh, maybe I need to be a, are you owed prize money by a team uh, bounty hunter? Um, but then wouldn't I be a jerk to take like 10% of that from a kid who doesn't have any? Yeah, maybe I won't be doing that, but it's an idea. Someone out there, make that your job. Uh, Sam Anadiotis, you say, MP, it's been too long since I've asked a question. You know what, Sam? We got together last weekend. We're talking about things. You came up. We're like, you know, Sam, he's been slipping. Um, so now you touched on Marcus Erickson's situation with wanting to be paid for his services. So hashtag me personally. I don't get the rationale of Chip not wanting to pay a driver who's won in multiple races, including the Indy 500. So you get that Erickson brings sponsorship, but I feel like based on his results, he's earned the right to be a paid driver. Um, and you kindly close, as many of you do. I apologize for not reading them every time. Say all the best to you, your wife, and the cats. Thank you. Um, all right. I said I was going to go fast here, so I'm going to do that. Um, if I'm having to put myself in Chip's position, I would think he would look at his team, realize that he has the most coveted open seat in all of motor racing, not IndyCar, all of racing. And if I'm forgetting one, maybe I am, but like there are no seats that I know of at Red Bull or Mercedes or Ferrari and run down the list, whatever Hendrick. And, you know, I can't think of any seat compared to what Chip has with that number 10 next year that's going to be open, that's more coveted. And right next to it is that number eight Honda. They have full sponsorship for the 10, they'll be paying someone to drive that car. For the eight, that is something where, as we've seen so far, Chip has not shown an interest in paying Marcus. I am unaware of the team having a full season sponsor to attach to the eight car for next year. Not saying they couldn't find one, not saying there isn't one on the way. I just don't know of one right now. And we also have that 11 car, by the way, shared by Takuma Sato and Marcus Armstrong that goes pretty darn good too. That wide open as well. So if I'm Chip, 
I'm looking at three entries with no drivers signed to them for next year. One of them having, again, sponsor and being paid in the 10, then the 8 and 11 to fill with people bringing money. I agree. Marcus deserves to be paid. I just don't believe that will happen at Chip Ganassi Racing. Why? I'm having to guess. I know, obviously, Marcus has won, what, four or five races? Won the Indy 500, ran second there this year. Clearly, he's special at the 500. I don't know if Chip looks at him, though, and says, that's my guy for the future. Scott Dixon has two, three more years on his contract. He turns 43 this weekend. Happy birthday, Dixie. I'm talking about who the future is. And I don't mean future as in winning a couple races each year and vying for the Indy 500, but finishing fourth in the championship, which is where Marcus is now, or having led the championship last year for a good while and I think ended up finishing sixth. I'm talking about... <clears throat> Who's my next Alex Pillow? Well, that's who he's trying to find to put into the 10 car. I don't believe he views Marcus as that guy. Since there's no interest on Marcus's part or his sponsor's part to continue paying to be in the 8 car, and since Chip, at least by what we think we know, doesn't see Marcus as the guy who's going to step right into that 10 car and keep doing what <clears throat> Alex has been doing, I think that's where we end up where we're at, which is, okay, looking to pay someone millions of dollars to drive the 10, searching for people to pay me millions upon millions for the 8 and 11. I just don't think Chip views Marcus as the guy, the man. Uh, who's going to lead the team to future championships and whatnot uh, while Dixie's still there or after Dixie's retired. That's all I got. And thank you, uh, Sam. Appreciate you. Um, Eric Franklin asking which tracks left on the calendar power Dixon might win on. Yes. Um, I mean, (laughs) uh, we know... Chevy was pretty darn tough there last year between New Garden almost winning both, uh, Pato stepping in when Joseph had that suspension failure while leading, um, all, again, almost going two for two. Uh, but yeah, I would absolutely expect the Ganassi team with Dixon could easily win at Iowa. Power could easily win at Iowa. Um I don't know if I see a track left where they couldn't win. So, yeah, I feel confident in saying, Eric, that you were looking for some sort of grand insight of, oh, this is going to be, no, I, I mean, I think they could win at every single one of them. Because um, I also feel somewhat confident they've won at just about every one of the tracks left on the calendar, and if not been on the podium. Um, Brian Holmes. Say, Marshall, first time, long time. Brian, thanks, brother. Say, why does an IndyCar treat that Toronto race more like a marquee event? Paper seems to have everything going for it. The only race outside the USA in a major city center. Sellout crowds. It's another great point. Man, those crowds looked really healthy last year compared to the year before. So happy. 
So yet the race is behind a paywall. Uh, there must be a better solution for IndyCar NBC in the city of Toronto. I hear you. Um, I don't disagree. The only thing I felt bad about after the race on Sunday was RLL's big breakthrough gone through hell, big changes, big rededication to being better. This Christian Lundgaard kid who's looked really special finally gets a breakthrough win and it's seen by not a lot of people. And again, I'm no, I'm not picking on Peacock. We just know that's not where you're going to generate much of an audience. If that's the only place the race can be watched live. That's the thing I was like, oh man, you know, come on. Uh, uh, this is the race like had Pelot won. Uh, I would not have really had that thought at all just because the guys won four times this year already, or however many times, like, uh, for them to have the breakthrough at a race scene by so few, that was sad. Um, but the thing here is it's not IndyCar treating the race, uh, in a less than manner because IndyCar doesn't choose where its races are aired. Obviously they choose who they do business with. So yes, they signed multi-year contract with NBC, which is awesome. NBC chooses what platform IndyCar races are aired. They have only increased year by year the amount of events placed on big NBC, the big network offering the greatest race, greatest ratings. And yet, last year was the first time we had a Peacock only at Toronto, and this year they chose again to do Toronto as Peacock only. I would suggest that while placing it on USA Network, certainly not going to be something that puts up big numbers, like NBC Network, um, yeah, uh, and I know that not everything necessarily fits, right? There are a lot of other sporting things that they air. But I'm with you. It does make me sad that at least two years in a row, Toronto has been seen by far too few people. Ryan Caminiti, you and a couple others are asking about fueling and how that thing's measured, flow rate measurement, um, read the new edition of the racer mailbag i think that was one of the first four or five questions that i had so cover me off there save us a little time cody dw12 you say ganassi's been dominant this season with many wins winning at half the races indeed more podiums and not etc etc um say additionally for his rookie season in the states marcus armstrong's been consistently in around the top 10 yet for him being in cgr even if it's on a part-time basis, I feel as though he should have one or two breakout results so far, be the top five or even a podium. Are my expectations for him set too high? I think so. Um, as I have interpreted young Mr. Armstrong's career to date, not a first season punch in the mouth, uh, world dominance kind of guy. Um, give him a little bit of time. I'm not saying he eases into things. I'm not saying he takes it easier, tries less hard, but I just, yeah, maybe I'm, maybe I've misinterpreted things, but I look at him and say, this is a really strong foundation. The guy doesn't make many mistakes, right? Uh, 
had a bunch of really good finishes this weekend in Toronto, the best so far this season, seventh. We know that his car is capable of finishing higher based on what the three team cars have done. But this is the thing that I would say impresses me a heck of a bunch. He has finishes of 11th, debut, 8th at Long Beach, 11th at Barber, 15th at Indy GP, things went a little sideways, but rebounded 8th at Detroit. A lot of people made mistakes. A lot of high-paid veteran drivers, even young badasses, made mistakes. Uh, Road America wasn't great. Obviously, the team ruined a, a potential quality finish for him with a bizarre race strategy call. So he finished 24th. That had nothing to do with him. That could easily be 5th, 6th. Uh, finished ninth at Toronto and 7th. I'm sorry, ninth at Mid-Ohio, 7th at Toronto. So if I'm just looking at what this kid has done as a rookie, every track being brand new to him, basically, the things that jump out for me are 11th, 8th, 11th, 8th, 9th. Seventh, he's two points behind Renus VK, who's done the full season and was a monster at the Indy 500. I know Indy doesn't pay double points anymore, but right, look at where he qualified, finished tenth. I know Chip Ganassi Racing is certainly well ahead of Ed Carpenter Racing in terms of quality of of speed and competition, but. Marcus has done two fewer races, scored points at two fewer races, and there's only two points behind Renus. He is 11 points behind Graham Rahal, <laughs> right? Who's done all the races. I know Graham hasn't had a, a perfect year, you know, Indy 500. Again, I get all that, but he scored points for finishing 22nd at the Indy 500 where Marcus did not compete. So... For a kid who's going to work his way into things and be smart, his results, I would say, should be something to go, now that is really impressive. Because instead of making a bunch of, I'm going to go like heck and I'm going to win the second practice session and chuck it in the wall and lose a lot of time and information and have the rest of the weekend spiral downward, which we've seen few too many rookies do this year and then crash in the race, crash in the race, and crash in the race. This guy has said, hey, okay, I could push a little tiny bit harder and finish one or two or th maybe three positions ahead uh, or go into unfamiliar territory at the outer reaches of grip and qualifying. But if I do that again, probably chuck it in the way. Let me do this. Let me be really smart in a fast car, bank a lot of knowledge, bank some really solid results and he's two points behind a race winner in Renus VK 11 behind Graham Rahal who's been on an upswing of late right um Romain Grosjean is within striking distance if Romain doesn't turn things around so I think the kid's doing wonderfully I think his approach has been really sharp and I hope he gets an invitation to come back to Ganassi next year. They're not inviting him for free. It's he's got to bring money. I get that. But if this kid can do full season there or pick one of the other teams, good teams with an open seat, he might be able to acquire. 
Uh, I think he takes all that he learned this year and turns those seventh and eighths and whatever's into thirds, fourths, fifths. I don't know if I've seen Marcus Armstrong's going to win an IndyCar race guy this year or next, right? He'd have to demonstrate that to us. But I've seen a guy who, to your point, could be running a couple positions higher, and you do that, and podiums start to become things that uh, are certainly possible. So, Ryan Terpstra, you're going to close our show here. So someone who scored podiums in F1 is talented, period. With that said, there's a pattern emerging that can't be ignored of single-car incidents for Romain Groschamp. Is this a physical fitness thing or loss of focus thing? So IndyCars are hard to drive. There seems to be a pattern. I don't know, brother. He said the wheel got ripped out of his hand again. That's what led to the crash at Toronto. Um, I know the crash at Detroit, very similar markers there. Sure looked like he clipped the wall and then speared into the wall right after it, but uh, could that have been it there? And you know, I don't believe he lacks strength. Um, he seems to have grip strength. Um, I know that many drivers spend an obsessive amount of time perfecting the grips on their steering wheel. Um, where was I? Uh, Road America when Ryan Hunter Ray doing his first race at Ed Carpenter Racing was there. I believe it was I believe it was there. Might I forget. If it was someone else, I apologize. But uh was just having the grip modified and modified. Can you move this up a little bit? Can you shift this here? Can you pull that down? Can you build a bigger ridge? All to give the top of his hands, top of his thumb to top of his index finger, where you're not just gripping both sides of the wheel but with these actual built out purpose-built custom fit grips there is a bit of a flange that gets formed that goes over the top of your hands so when you're turning you're not just using grip strength to do the rotation of the steering wheel top part of your hands are pushing against something firm and hard built onto the steering wheel shaped to that form of the top of your hand so that right that's the way that you are able to throw these really crazy cars around um have i looked at roman's steering wheel and done a comparison to uh, one of his teammates or anyone else's go huh that doesn't have a whole lot of grip material developed for him to use to push against to properly turn the car i don't know um is there something choice wise that's been done where going over a big bump you know caster it's a suspension setting it's one of the probably least mentioned among suspension settings but basically affects the weight of the steering and can change caster settings to make it easier to turn the wheel these things are not easy to turn but just you can make some adjustments there but the heavier the, the greater the caster the boy feels like that's where is there something to think about there to make the 
wheel a little bit less heavy and prone to snap out of your again i don't know um yeah um i don't know i wish the guy luck i don't know if he has as i mentioned earlier a long runway left in indycar has he worn out his welcome possible if andretti signs him for another year or two good on them right free will their decision do as they please with their team uh i wish nothing but the best for the guy just there are times and they don't happen very often ryan but there are times where you see someone in the wall yet again and it's happened a lot of times and you know that they're really unhappy and dissatisfied so are their teams you get farther along into the season like well you're out of contract at the end of the year is this are we doing you are we doing doing us are we doing ourselves a favor if we say you know what you get paid we pay your money but what do you think do we need to keep doing this if andretti if Ray Hall, if whomever isn't sure that the driver who they are currently using, the driver isn't signed for next year, is someone they really are seriously going to think of continuing with, we're just getting to that stage of the year where what's the cost to stand down? How much would we have to pay? What kind of severance? Whatever it is. Do we need to keep doing this? Do we need to keep hoping the car doesn't end up in the wall, but when it does, I go, okay, it's not a total surprise. Getting expensive, though. Who's out there in the field where you go, I wonder if the team might be inquiring if they could uh, evaluate a couple of different drivers, ones that are known quantities, but, again, different young drivers with little to no resume to draw from and IndyCar at least say, Hey, we don't know. We think this kid might be decent. Let's, let's go find out and educate ourselves before we have to make a really big decision in the off season. That's where we'll just say goodbye to this episode, Ryan. Um, I don't know if that would happen with the 28 car. Say that we've seen it happen before seen it happen in other teams i have no clue if it's something they're considering but if we just go on results and what we've seen in general i'd be really surprised if at least one senior leader there wasn't going hmm should we um rll might be in a similar place none of them have told me that nobody at andretti has told me anything so again this is just me um, getting to that point in time where you go, if you hear an announcement that driver A, who does not currently drive for the team, is going to be stepping into car number such and such for the last one race, three races, five races, eight, whatever amount. Um, we're just at that point in time where it shouldn't be a huge surprise. Uh, that's the show. I look forward to speaking to y'all next week when I get back from Iowa. I think we're going to have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we do. 
been doing slightly longer versions of this, by the way, here in recent weeks while I've been home. Um, we're probably going to be back to things being a little bit shorter just because I'm going to be on the go constantly, but <clears throat> try to use a little bit of this extra time that I've had to go a little bit deeper and answer more questions. So I hope for those of you who sometimes complain to make the show shorter, eh, you know, we always do the same thing every week. I get bored with that. So appreciate y'all. Appreciate our pal Jerry. Appreciate your questions and our friends at Cooper Tires and Discount Tire, Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com. Speak to you here shortly. Have a little interview with Indy NXT race winner and title contender Louis Foster from Andretti Autosport coming up ASAP.